0: Well good morning Waypoint Church. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Your pastor called me on Friday. Uh, he sounded like Kermit the Frog, but like if Kermit smoked a lot. Like that's what he sounded like. He's come a long way from Friday though. Hearing him here today, uh, I'm, I'm amazed at, uh, at his voice here today. And so Lawrence, I'm sorry that you're sick, but I'm glad that I get to be here with you and, and worship with you this morning. And, uh, and I'm excited to uh, share, share God's Word with you this morning. Parents, uh, we all know why you're here, four days, four snow days with your children. You could not get here fast enough. I saw you checking your kids back into, some, into, into Waypoint Kids. Yeah, we, we all know. We all know. It's fine. It's fine. But uh, we are going to be in Jonah this morning. And, and so uh, you may think to yourself, oh, I know this story. This is the one about the guy who runs from God gets swallowed up by a big fish, and lives 20 leagues under the sea. It's that weird kid story with, uh, in the Old Testament with Geppetto from Pinocchio. Uh, it's always seemed a little bit unbelievable. Like, that's, that's, that's probably where your mind might go. But before we presume to know the story of Jonah, I want to give us some background around on exactly who we're dealing with. Uh, I want to guard us from any kind of misgivings that we might have about this story as some cute little cartoon that we outgrow in adulthood. So, um, truth be told, this is a story about a wicked city that is the capital of an evil nation. It's about a racist and rebellious prophet. It's about a compassionate and merciful God who shows his massive love by sending a messed up dude to a messed up people. It's really a beautiful story, but it is not for the faint of heart. It is, there's, there's no room for naivety in the story of Jonah. Uh, in fact, as we'll see today, this text of scripture forces us to ask some really hard questions about ourselves, about God, and about the world around us. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there uh, and actually follow along, I know we've already read, but if you want to turn there and, and go with us uh, through this, the, the book of Jonah is between two other books with hipster names, and that's Obadiah and Micah, so you can, you can find it there. Or you can just follow along on the screen. So let's begin with the first verse in the very first chapter, which is always a good place to start, right? So here we go. I know we've already read this. I didn't, by the way... I didn't know that y'all were going to read it all the way through when I prepped, so I have it written, so we'll just go through it again. Uh, The good thing about having somebody read it before you get up here is that they clear up all the words that you don't know how to pronounce, so Amittai, we all know it now. All right. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now this plan sounds simple enough, right? It's, It's pretty straightforward. Uh, Jonah was a prophet of God, Nineveh was a city that needed God, just send, send him and, and, and everything works out. Two problems, Jonah was racist against the Assyrians, of which Nineveh was the capital city. The second problem is that the Ninevites were extremely wicked. Now I know when you hear the word wicked, if you're like me, you just think Mike Shashevsky and Duke University, that's, what that's where your mind goes, right? But like this is, this is, I mean that's evil, but this is next level evil. Let me, let me just give you some background on this city. It was built by a guy named Nimrod, which may be confusing for some of you guys in here since that's what your wife calls you all the time, but a guy named Nimrod built this city, and, 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 and he is the guy who is associated with the building of the Tower of Babel, and he's quoted as saying when he built the Tower of Babel that he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again for he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying his forefathers. This sort of evil defiance toward God grew into a nation of people that were recorded to be some of the cruelest people ever in the ancient world. They were known to lay desolate entire cities, uh, including women and children. They would bind the severed heads of their enemies to posts around the city for everyone to be reminded that their fury knew no bounds. Their king even boasted their many atrocities on various monuments throughout the city, some of which are still there today. Here's a few of his delightful, cute little quotes. Uh, From one son I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from the other I cut off their noses, their ears, and their fingers. Of many I put out their eyes. Three thousand captives I burned with fire. I flayed them and spread their skins upon the walls. I made them watch Miley Cyrus music videos on repeat until they came in like a wrecking ball. I got the, the research for that last one from Facebook. It might not be entirely accurate, but in any case, these people were extremely wicked, and some of us just don't have experience with this degree of evil. The closest thing that we can kind of think of in our time is that if God was calling us to go to Syria and preach the gospel to ISIS, right? This is, this is the kind of the closest thing that we can feel, but Jonah is feeling this, and, and so I, I recently read an article um, about a, a 14-year-old girl from a, a lower caste system in India who died after being raped again and again and again by the same man who had raped her several months prior and was let go. And as I prepared yesterday to to preach on Jonah to you today, I I began to wrestle with this. I I thought, well, what if God called me to go preach the gospel to the family of this young girl? I'd go in a heartbeat. But what if God wanted me to go and preach the gospel to this man and and, and the people who enabled him to do this? Now we're starting to get a sense of the, of the feeling that Jonah had when God called him to go and preach to Nineveh. So Jonah refuses. He runs. He jumps on a ship with a bunch of pagan sailors, and he goes out to sea. So God appoints a storm. Uh, the men realize that Jonah is the reason for the storm, so they throw him overboard. So God appoints a fish, and, and, and that fish swallows him up. But, much like anybody who, who's over 21 does when they see a, a selfie of Justin Bieber, the, the fish vomits, and 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 Jonah finds himself washed up on dry land. By the way, that's two pop culture references, right back to back. I know some of you are like, who's this Justice Beaver? But that's okay. Um, Jonah cannot escape God's will, and so begrudgingly, he goes to Nineveh and does as he's told. Now, miraculously, the Ninevites repent of their sin to the extent that they even cover their livestock with the same sackcloth that they put on themselves to show their repentance. Nineveh receives salvation, and Jonah is so angry that these evil people repented and are saved that he says to God, why don't you just kill me? And then he walks out of the city, and he sits down outside the gate to pout. Now here's where I think we get the clearest picture of both Jonah's heart and God's heart in the entire book. Let's pick back up in chapter 4. I know we've read this, but I'm going to read it again. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. God's goodness and mercy. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Notice the hand of God sovereignly at work in all these details. Verse 8. in a night. Now, I want to give you two main points today out of this final chapter. The first is this. This is extremely weird. This is the weirdest sermon point I've ever had, but I promise you it's in the text. I promise you, and I'll explain it in just a minute. The first is this. Self-pity parties are for the birds. Self-pity parties are for the birds. I was right. That's kind of weird, right? Okay. Self-pity parties are for the birds. In this case, Jonah. Jonah's name in Hebrew literally means dove. Unless you've been pooped on by a dove, your instinct is to... Is it okay that I say pooped on here at Waypoint? Is that all right? I've already done it. Sorry, Lawrence. It's already happened. Uh, But unless you've been pooped on by a dove, your instinct is to think happily about uh, marriage doves floating out or two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear... No, nobody's with me. Okay. That is typically what we think of when we think of dove, and, and this is consistent with, with the book of Matthew, where we see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus as a dove, which is a sign that salvation is coming. But listen, that is not the nature of dove yet. That is not the nature, that, that has not become the meaning of the word dove. This is coming from Hosea 7, where God describes the northern kingdom of Israel, which by the way is where Jonah is from, as a dove, silly and without sense. Israel was ignorant, they were arrogant, and they were racist. In other words, they thought too highly of themselves as God's only chosen race. Like a dumb bird, they couldn't see beyond themselves. And Jonah was racist against the Ninevites, and he was stuck in his own culture. He did not want to be moved. So he walks out of the city and sits down and pouts and has a pity party. I want to give you three observations from this pity party that Jonah has. The first is... Versus this, Jonah's pity party was an indicator of an unrepentant heart. And my question for you today, Waypoint Church, or Waypoint Church member, or attender here sitting in the seats, is how are you like Jonah in your life? Where are you deliberately being disobedient and running from the command of God? Maybe God wants you to go on a short-term mission trip, and you've been just trivializing about the costs and sensibilities about going overseas, overseas when you know God wants you to go. Uh, maybe God wants you to reach out to that neighbor, but you've been trying to think, well, I'm not really that good, good of friends yet, and I've got to spend all this time to be really. And when you know God just wants you to share the gospel, maybe God wants you to share the gospel with a coworker, but you've been, you've been using uh, company policy as an excuse or a reason to not, to not even invest in that friendship. Maybe God is calling you to become more generous with your giving, but you're just flat out unwilling to give up your standard of living. Maybe God wants you to get involved in in refugee ministry or get, get involved in foster care or adoption, but you're just too afraid that it will inconvenience your life. Or maybe worse yet, there are areas in your life where you are being obedient, but you know your heart's not in the right place. You're doing all the right things, but you're hostile. You're even divisive. Maybe you're serving on a volunteer team, but you're bitter because you feel like others aren't pulling their weight. Or or maybe you're in a small group, but you don't really want to live on mission with the others in that small group, and you just want to be comfortable and hang out with your friends. Let me me ask it in this way. In what ways do you have the right actions, but with the wrong attitude? Maybe if you're honest with yourself for a minute, you're you're sitting here today right in the middle of your own pity party, and you know it. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. This is where I struggle so much. I don't know if you're like me, but most of the time I wish that repentance was something that I could just outgrow. I wish I could just get beyond repentance. Come on, Lord, haven't I arrived already? Can't you align with me now? Can't we just kind of make that the plan for the future? I've repented in the past. Why do I have to keep doing it? But the inescapable reality is that past repentance is not enough. We are called to a life of repentance. Since the prospect of sin is always in our future, so must be repentance. Listen, church, spiritual maturity is not moving past repentance. It is moving deeper into it. It is living in it. It is needing it. It is recognizing that, God, I need you to overcome all my sin. God, I recognize that I am sinful and wicked before you. You know what Jonah forgot? Jonah forgot that he at one time was Nineveh, evil and separated from God because of his sin. I'm going to tell you something. The minute we think that we've graduated from repentance is precisely the minute that we are most in need of it. The minute that we think we've graduated from needing to repent to the Lord and repent of sin is the minute that we are most in desperate need of repentance. The second observation from Jonah's pity party is this. Jonah's pity party was an indicator of a racist heart. Uh, Last year... uh, while serving on a panel for a a diversity forum, I I was asked if it was possible to be prejudiced without also being racist. I think the simple answer is no. And I think Jonah here uh, affirms that. It's, it's, It's apparent in our culture that racism finally is being viewed as bad. No one wants to be called racist in our culture anymore. But clearly, being viewed as bad isn't enough. It's not solving the problem, right? It's not getting down to the heart. It's not getting down to the core issue. We continue to see racism well up again and again and again. So just being viewed as bad isn't enough. The question is, what is the line between being racist and not racist? Like, how do you know when you've crossed the line from being racist to now now I'm just prejudiced? Okay, if I do these things, I'm race, racist, but if I do these things, I, I, I'm prejudiced. What, what is the line? Is it, well, I have more than one friend who doesn't look like me, so I, I'm obviously, I'm not racist anymore, I'm just, I'm just prejudiced. Or, or I have a variety of musical preferences, or I love a bunch of cultural ba- backgrounds. I, I, I have that in my, in my repertoire. I am not racist. I mean, what is the line? This, this silly little... Phony line is all for me several years ago uh, when I realized that I had, at one point in my life, I had moved overseas to share the gospel with another people group. I I even learned their, their culture. I learned their language. But then when I moved back to the United States, I wasn't sharing the gospel with other ethnicities in my own zip code. In fact, I had no relationships with people that didn't really look like me. Like Jonah, I was stuck to my own kind. I was locked in my culture. God helped me. I needed to repent. And I can't tell you, church, how freeing it was to realize that that I I needed to stop minimizing my sin and recognize that racism, just like every other sin, is a product from the fall. And that I'm not just kind of sinful, I'm totally sinful. And I wasn't just kind of racist, I was totally racist in my heart. And God began to break me and began to work out this issue in my life. And I, I am just so grateful for, for the work of the Lord in my life, and I can still see this pop up in my life when I drift toward cultural comfort, when I drift toward what makes me feel comfortable, and I'm grateful to be part of a diverse community around me that's helping, helping reveal the depths of my sin and show me a greater glory. By the way, a side note here, just since we're on this and I'm excited to be sharing with you, being multi-ethnic also means being multicultural. It means that we don't leave our cultures any more than we do our, our ethnicities. The difference is is that when we come together, we allow God to grow and shape a new culture among us. Lawrence has shared with me the vision of Waypoint Church. And you know why I'm so excited about diversity in your church? You want to know why I'm so excited about the future Because God is showing off his glorious creativity as through the gospel you come together as Christ's body to be seen here in the triangle. What God is doing at Waypoint is is an amazing thing. And in many ways I can tell you as a pastor at the Summit Church, I'm grateful for some of the things that God is doing at our church. But there are things that Waypoint Church is far ahead of us in. And I'm so excited to, to see what God is doing and what God is working out in you. And my prayer is, is that wherever present any ethnocentric attitudes or any racism that is in your heart, that you would allow God to expose that, to root it out, to dig at it, and to cause you to be a people who come together in unity for the world to see. To see the glorious kingdom that God is building for himself. See, Jonah refused to do this. He refused. And he wound up alone, which brings me to the next observation. Jonah's pity party was an indicator of a lonely heart. Just like that famous 80s pop song, Jonah was the owner of a lonely heart. And now it's all in your heads. You're welcome. And just like anyone who knows the verses to that song, jo- Jonah was all alone. All alone, with my, by myself. All alone. He had nobody, right? He, he spends the entire chapter complaining to the Lord about the circumstances in, in his life. And some of you here today, the reality is, is that you might, might be sitting here in the middle of a room full of people, but in your heart and in your mind and in your life, you are all alone. Because pride is ruling the day. And Jonah spends this entire chapter complaining and criticizing The New Testament word for to complain literally means to be dissatisfied or discontent with one's own lot in life. Jonah was dissatisfied, he was discontent, and it led him to run from the Lord. It led him to be alone in the belly of a fish, and alone on a beach, and alone again outside the city. In Jonah's pity party, he was totally alone. This story reminds me of the prodigal son story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. A father has two sons and the younger one runs off and squanders his his inheritance while the older one stays home and does everything right. Then one day the younger son comes home and asks to be a servant, but the father welcomes him home and throws a party for his returned son. The repentant younger brother is inside enjoying the party while the older brother sits outside and sulks. His pride leads him to miss out on the heart of the father. Let me ask you a question. Are you concerned about the things that God is concerned about? Do you know your heavenly Father's heart? Jonah, listen, Jonah's heart wasn't any more aligned with God's heart after he obeyed than it was beforehand. He did all of the right things, and yet his heart was still in the same place. It's still divided from God, still self, selfish, still self-motivated, still bitter, still racist, and still alone. But listen, don't you think that God knew that before he ever called him to go preach to Nineveh? I mean, hear me, church. If God wanted to destroy Nineveh, he would have just done it. He'd already done that already with Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have just destroyed Nineveh. So why send Jonah? Why send this unrepentant, racist guy to the people he hates most? Why force him to do something that he doesn't want to do? Because, watch this. God's not after Jonah's obedience. He's after his heart. I'm going to be real with you, sometimes we agree to do something we think that God wants us to do, only to find out that it doesn't pan out the way that we thought it would, and we get our heart set on the mission rather than the one who gave us the mission in the first place, or we get our heart set on the gift rather than the gift giver, God gives us a little shade and we bow down and start worshipping the plant. Then he takes away the thing that we're worshipping so that we'll come back to him and we respond to him, how dare you take that away from me? Uh... My wife and I have been trying to adopt since 2013. About a year and a half ago, um, someone came to us uh, with a situation that we, we listened to. We heard uh, three precious little girls. Um, their uh, parental rights had been terminated. They were in need of a mommy and daddy. And we were so excited to, to be their mommy and daddy. And they began uh, feeding us uh, photos. And biographies, and we began working with social workers, um, and began just getting ready for this change that would happen in our life. We bought bunk beds. We bought a single bed. We, we had been planning on selling our house, uh, and then uh, we thought, well, we'll just take the house off the market. We'll just, you know, we'll um, we'll, we'll kind of make this work, and this is this is where we're going to be. Uh, and then one day, my wife gets an email. Uh, an adoption team is given. The girls to another family in another county. Why would you take this away from us? Why would you offer us this thing and take it away? How dare you take this away from me? Perhaps you're in a season where you're frustrated by the circumstances in your life and you're saying, God, why don't you just leave me alone? Maybe you're even to the point of despair. You need to know today, the U.S. government may be shut down, but Jesus is still on his throne, and he is interceding on your behalf right now, and his kingdom knows no end, and he is a faithful king who is good in all that he does. And you need to see that everything in your life has purpose, every blessing and every curse, every good thing and every bad thing, all of it is working together in the mixing bowl of this one reality that God doesn't just want your actions, he wants you. He wants your heart. And when he has your heart, he begins to tune it and he begins to turn it toward the things that he loves. And do you know what God loves? People. God loves people. At the Summit Church, we say people are the mission. Anytime we find ourselves getting caught up in working toward other things, we recognize that we have drifted off of God's mission because God's mission is to save people. God loves people. God loves people who are far from him. God loves people who don't know him. That's why he wants his church to go and tell the world that he has sent his son to save them. He loves people. So what do you love more than you love seeing people come to know Jesus? If you're taking notes, write this down. Self-pity mutes the proclamation of good news. Self-pity mutes the proclamation of good news every single time. Whenever we begin to focus on ourselves or begin to focus on other things, other than God's mission, which is people, The proclamation of good news to a lost world begins to fade. Who are you not sharing Jesus with because you're too focused on yourself? Jonah was more pleased with the gift of a plant than he was the repentance of an entire city. He missed the greatest gift. He had had passion for a plant, but not the souls of an entire people. I mean, church... We need to repent of our self-pity. We need to repent of our self-focus. In what ways in your life are you living with a me mentality? In what ways in your life is it all about you? Is it all about your life? Is it all about your comfort? Is it all about your control? Is it all about everything that's for you? What do you find more joy in than you do the repentance of others? We need to ask ourselves, am I the one sitting outside the city? Am I the one sitting outside the party missing out? Am I the one with a heart that doesn't look like my heavenly father's? Which brings me to my last point. Let's look at our father's heart in action in point number two. It's this. God throws pity parties for rescued sinners. In this case, Nineveh. Now these, these are a different kind of pity party than Jonah's. In the last verse of Jonah, here's, here's God's final statement. He says, and should, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Question mark. Now, unlike you and me, when God has pity, it's not for himself. His pity is for the truly pitiful, pitiful, the ones who can't save themselves. Throughout the book of Jonah, Nineveh is referred to as that great city. In fact, it's even called exceedingly great. Now, most people think size when they hear the word great, and Nineveh for its time was quite large, but in reality it was only about four miles in length across. Uh, It says that it was a three to four day journey, that may have just been the the geographical region, that might have been what it took to kind of work through the city. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but the reality is is that it, that it it was only four miles in length. So why does Jonah call the city exceedingly great? Because he is referring to the greatness, the measure of greatness of what is in their heart, what is in their soul, which is wickedness. And the Ninevites had to experience something matched. The, the, the level of their wickedness had to be matched by something as equally powerful or greater. Let me, let me explain it like this. Uh, when I was younger, meaning last week, uh, I would play, this, I would play this, this game where you stand your feet shoulder width apart across from an opponent, right, and you push against each other. You know, you, you, you guys have your hands, am I the only one who's ever played this game? Okay, three of you, that's fantastic. Uh, so all three of you know. Uh, so you stand across from each other and the goal is to push the other one off balance. And, and, and whoever, gets, whoever loses their step first, loses. Now, you, you can push your momentum against them and you can knock them backward or you can move your hands out of the way and get their momentum going. But every now and then, every now and then, there comes a moment where both of you push right at the same time. And whoever has the most power, what's happening to the other person? They're going backwards. There has to be something that, that is more powerful than, than the, the force of the other party. The extent of Nineveh's wickedness is exceedingly great. But listen, it is exceeded by the compassion of a merciful God. In an instant, it is overpowered. In his book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, D.A. Carson explains that that you will never see the love of God without also seeing the wrath of God. Listen, if if God is the greatest being in the universe, then it would stand that his judgment is the greatest force of judgment, right? If he's the greatest being, then his, his wrath is the greatest force of judgment. Which means the only thing that can save you from his judgment, from his wrath, is his love. Because he's the only one powerful uh, enough to offset his own power. We cannot overcome God's wrath with our own strength. We don't have anything in our arsenal that will enable us to overcome God's wrath on our own, by our own works. And in an instant, God overcame his wrath towards the Ninevites by his love and his compassion for them. But do you know what Jonah preached? He didn't preach God's love. he preached preached his wrath. And in preaching his wrath, they repented and they received God's infinite love and mercy in their life. Your sin is exceedingly great and you need a love that's greater than all your sin. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there is no way that you can earn your way into the favor of a holy and righteous God. Your sin is too great. You don't have the capacity in yourself to offset that. But the good news is that God has worked through his son Jesus to combat his wrath against you and lay all of that on Jesus. And now in an instant, all the wrath that's directed at you can be overcome by his love for you. You just need to receive his son. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but you've just been minimizing your sin in your life. Listen, when you minimize your sin, you minimize the grace and mercy of God in your life. Despite how you might feel today, God does not delight in destruction. His greatest joy is in repentance and salvation. Lamentations 3.22 says because of God's great love for us, we are not destroyed. God's compassion for Nineveh is seen personally through the life of Jonah. Every circumstance in his life is with purpose. Every circumstance in your life isn't just for you. God wants to turn all the things in your life to work in ways that he can use it to reach Chapel Hill, to reach South Durham, to reach North Carolina, to reach the USA, to reach the world so that they can receive the blessing of salvation. The church is made up of people with circumstances going on in their life that God wants to use to tune their hearts to his and to give them a new kind of mission. A couple of years ago, I met met an Iranian pastor. Uh, we, um, We were... ...baptizing a, uh, a, an Iranian woman who came to Christ in our backyard... Um, ...and just celebrating her story. And this Iranian pastor came uh, to join in with us and, and, um, and, and be part of that. And so I, I got to talking with him. He told me a story. Uh, he grew up... His, um, his dad had been married. And he, had, and, and he and his wife had two sons. And, and then his dad divorced that woman... And, uh, well, he actually left that woman and, uh, and, and a- had an affair with his mother. And so they, they ended up getting married. And so they were married. They had him. And then his dad, for uh, financial reasons, decided to go back to his first wife. So he divorced his second wife, which was his mother, and sent her away to who knows where. Um, and, uh, and, and took him. And went back with his stepmom and his stepbrothers. Uh, understandably, they despised him uh, because their dad and her husband had left them for his mom previously. And so they abused him, they beat him. Uh, they would leave him outside to sleep. Uh, he survived by stealing food on the streets as a young boy. Uh, as he grew grew older, uh, the abuse and the beatings became more and more severe till one day he finally fled home to a neighboring country uh, for fear of his life. In this country, he began to make a plan uh, where he would avenge his mother and go back and murder his, his stepbrothers, his stepmother, and his father. He began taking martial arts uh, courses. He began thinking of strategies of how to, how to get back and how to execute this plan, in fact, his entire life became consumed with this one goal, this one mission, to go back and avenge all the things that had happened to him and murder his family. A friend of his saw that he had just been become so consumed with hatred and bitterness and hurt. He invited him to a church service. He, he said, well, are you a Christian? His friend said, no, I'm actually not, but I do enjoy going to these services because I feel God's peace when I'm there. So he went to this church service and he heard the gospel He heard the message of salvation, that God's mercy and his love overpowers his wrath through Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to Jesus. And as he began growing in his walk with Jesus, and he began learning more and more about God's grace and his mercy and his love and his compassion for lost people, God began to deal with him with his hatred for his family. Eventually, this Iranian pastor went back to Iran, to his hometown, But not to murder his family, he went back with a new mission to tell them the good news that there is a God who loves them, who sent his son to save them. He shared the gospel with his family. In fact, while I was with him, his stepmother called. They are all now followers of Jesus, bought with the blood of Jesus, redeemed, and part of the heavenly family. You see, God gives us a new mission In his sovereignty, God uses messed up people to bring his message to undeserving peoples because he is merciful and he's compassionate. So here's the thing. The book of Jonah ends the way it starts. God being on mission to save his people. But as for Jonah, it ends with a question mark. We don't know if Jonah ever repented of his racism and disobedience. And I think that's on purpose. It leaves it open for us. You see, God still uses people to bring his message of salvation to the world. That's his means of bringing salvation is through his church, through his people. The question is, will we repent and will we obey? Or will our pride and our self-pity keep us from the heart of our Father? Listen, church, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish because of his disobedience. Jesus spent three nights in the grave because of yours. Like Israel, Jonah was like a dove, silly and without sense, but God sends his Holy Spirit, symbolized as a dove, to draw people to repentance. Jonah was angry about a tree and cursed his life because of it, but God sent his son to hang on a tree and become a curse for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jonah was angry enough to die, and God loves sinners enough to send his only son to die. Will you bow your heads? Where in your heart are you hostile toward God? Where in your heart are you living with self-pity and pride? Where in your heart have you just become calloused to God's mission to save people, to love people? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you recognize that God's wrath toward you can only be outshined by his love toward you. If God would do this for an entire city, you know he would do this for you. He sent His Son, Jesus, for you. That's why you're here today. That's why you're hearing all this. Wherever God is stirring in your heart, I want to I invite you to respond to Him. As, as the worship team leads us here in a moment, you respond to the Lord, and you respond to whatever He's leading you to. If you're not here, and you don't know the love of Jesus, whoever brought you, or whoever's closest to you, I want you to just reach out to them, and let them know. Let me pray for us. God, God, Thank you for your son. Thank you that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Thank you that your steadfast love towards us never fails. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Thank you that you are a God who loves us, God. You're a God who works. And so we don't have to worry about all of our own stuff. We get to be on mission for you, God. I pray that the people of Waypoint Church would would never compromise the mission that you've given them. Lord, I pray that they would never maximize other areas beyond people, the people that don't know you, the people that need to hear the good news of salvation. Lord God, would you use this church to reach people from all over the world, that they would stand together in unity and and confess with their mouths and believe with their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen.